section 42 of a fair mystery this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by marcia payne a fair mystery by bertha m clay the coquette's blandishments have you finished thinking yet doris asked earl gently no she replied i am getting a little clearer in my ideas but i have by no means finished yet she had two plans before her one was to wait for lord charles and tell him all to trust to his generosity to keep their secret then she laughed bitterly as she repeated the word generosity he had none he was reckless extravagant over money but as for generosity honor or principle she knew he had none in trusting to that she would indeed trust to a broken reed besides if she were once established in this new sphere of life it would be highly disagreeable and offensive to have any one near her who knew of this episode if lord vivian knew he would always have her in his power he would hold the secret like a drawn sword over her head no better for her own safety to steal away from him without saying one word even if in the after years they should meet again it was hardly possible that he would recognize her surrounded by all the luxuries of her position the honored daughter of noble parents it was not likely that he would recognize in her the girl who had left brackenside for his sake as for leaving him far from feeling the least regret far from seeing that she was treating him dishonorably she smiled to herself at his consternation when he should return to the riverside and not find her he will think that i have run away with someone else she thought and the idea amused her so intensely that she laughed aloud you are well content said earl bitterly why should i not be you have brought me wealth and fortune title and honor all that my soul loves best why should i not be content she had finished her musings now and it had brought her to two conclusions she must leave lord vivian at once and in silence while she must at the same time at any price keep her secret from earl another and very probable idea occurred to her and it was this by earl being sent to fetch her it was very evident that her parents approved of him and that she would have to marry him looking at him she thought it was not such a bad alternative after all he was handsomer younger stronger than lord vivian besides what little affection she had had to give had always been his then she rose from her seat with a smile i have finished thinking earl to make matters square i promise myself that i will not think again for ever so many months what is the result of your deliberation he said i wish you would be a little kinder to me earl you speak so gravely you look so coldly that you make me quite unhappy his face flushed slightly and his lips trembled i do not wish to seem unkind doris but let me ask you what else besides coldness and gravity can you expect from me you know i always liked you earl i know you betrayed and deceived me about as basely as it is possible to deceive any one but we need not discuss that now 
She looked at him with a smile few men could resist, and held out her hands. "'Be friends, Earl. I like you too well, after all, to travel with you while you look so cold and stern. Give me one smile, only one, then I shall feel more at my ease.' I do not think my smiles cheer, or the loss of them depresses you. Neither can I smile to order. Still, you need have no fear of traveling with me. It was in her nature to respect him more, the more difficult he seemed to please. I shall manage him in time, she thought. I shall return with you, Earl, she said. I have been thinking it all over, and I will go at once. I will not wait to say goodbye to the people here. But that seems strange, not quite right. Why not go and bid them farewell, tell them the good fortune that has happened to you? No, they are fond of me, the children especially, you do not know. They would not let me come away. But it does not seem right, persisted Earl. It is right enough. If I go back to them, I shall not go with you. I can write to them as soon as I reach England and tell them all about it. I know you will have your own way, Doris. It is useless for me to interfere. Do as you please. That is like my old lover, Earl. Now I begin to feel at home with you. I did use you very wickedly, but all the time I liked you. I know exactly the value of your liking, said Earl, who had determined to be cool and guarded. She talked to him in the old sweet tones, she gave him the sweetest glances from her lovely eyes she remembered all the pretty arts and graces which had attracted him most and earl despite his caution despite his resolve knew that his heart was on fire again with the glamour and magic of her beauty knew that every pulse was throbbing with passion and she knew as well as though he had put it into words that the old charm was returning, only a thousand times stronger. She laid her white hand on his arm, and he shrank shuddering from the touch. She only smiled. Her time would come. I shall not return to the house where I have been living. The reason is that I wish them to forget me. I shall not like, when I am Lady Doris Studley, to be recognized by them. That pride was so exactly like her, he understood it well you can return to florence if you like she continued with the air of a queen but if you wish to please me you will walk on with me to the nearest railway station and let us go at once to genoa we can travel from genoa to london but i have left my things at the hotel he said is there anything particular among them earl no he replied then you can send for them on your arrival please yourself if you do not go on my terms, I shall go alone. Then he looked at the rippling golden hair that fell in such shining profusion over her shoulders, at the dress of rich velvet, silk, and delicate lace. You are not dressed for traveling. Why be so hasty, he said. I can purchase anything I want in Genoa, she replied. Then he noticed for the first time what costly jewels she wore and how her hands were covered with shining gems. For the first time, a thrill of uneasiness, of doubt, of fear shot through him. You have some beautiful jewels, Doris, he said slowly. Her face flushed. Then she laughed carelessly. How easy it is to deceive a man, she said. A lady would have known at one glance that they were not real. 
he felt greatly relieved they are pretty but not very valuable she continued given to me by the children i have been teaching if you do not like them earl i will throw them into the arno one by one why do that if the little children gave them to you i am no judge of precious stones but looking at the light in those i should have thought them real do you know that if they were real they would be worth hundreds and hundreds of pounds you must think an english governess in italy coins money he looked admiringly at her handsome dress although too inexperienced to know its real value this is my best dress too she said and do you know earl that as i put it on i said to myself i do not look amiss in this i wish earl could see me did you really he asked a flush of delight rising to his brow it was so very easy to deceive a generous and trusting man that one might almost be ashamed to do so did you doris then although you ran away from me so cruelly did you like me after all oh earl what a question like you did you not feel sure that when i had seen something of the world had allayed the fever of excitement that i should return to you did you not feel sure of it no such thought or intention had ever been in her mind still she wished to make the best of matters it was no use for her to return to england unless she was the best of friends with earl a few untruths more or less did not trouble her in the least only provided that he believed them i never thought so was his simple reply i believed you had left me forever doris you must never judge me by the same rule you would apply to others earl i told you that from the beginning of our acquaintance and i tell you so now i believe it he replied yet although he saw that she wished to make friends and was flattered by the belief he could not all at once forget the anguish and sorrow that she had caused him then she took out a little jeweled watch that she wore time was flying in one short half hour lord charles would be back with her flowers and news of the opera box how angry he will be she said to herself to think that any one should thwart his sovereign will and pleasure he will look in every pretty nook by the river bank then he will go into the house and ask have you seen mrs conyers and no one will be able to answer him i should like to be here to see the sensation then he will be sulky and finally come to the conclusion that i have given him up and have run away from him she was so accustomed to think of him as selfish loving nothing but himself that she had never imagined that he had grown to love her with a madness of passion to which he would have sacrificed everything on earth she had been so entirely wrapped up in her own pursuits in the acquisition of numberless dresses and jewels that she had not observed the signs of his increasing devotion blind to his mad passion for her she decided upon leaving him and of all the mistakes that she had ever made in her life none was so great as this ten minutes later they were walking rapidly toward the little town of sepia there they could go by train to genoa as they walked along the high road doris laughed and talked gaily as though nothing had happened since they had first been betrothed this reminds me of old times earl she said how goes the poetry dear i expect to hear that you have performed miracles by this time 
you destroyed my poetry doris when you marred my genius and blighted my life she laid her hand caressingly on his did i then i must make amends for it now she said and he was almost vexed to find how the words thrilled him with a keen passionate delight suddenly she raised a laughing face to his was there a very dreadful sensation earl when they found out that i was gone the smiling face the laughing voice smote him like a sharp sword he remembered the pain and the anguish the torture he had suffered the long hours when he had lain between life and death he remembered the fame he had lost the sweet gift of genius all destroyed his heart broken his life rendered stale and profitless while she could smile and ask with laughing eyes if there had been much sensation i believe he cried with a sudden flame of passion women are nerved with heartlessness she was scared by his manner deep feeling and earnestness were quite out of her line her bright shallow nature did not understand it but she saw that for the future it would be better to say nothing to him about such matters as her running away from home end of section forty two recorded by marcia payne